turn now to Psalm 115 in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 115, to look primarily at the last few verses, but to read the whole chapter. Sermon points are in the bulletin if you are wanting to take notes. Psalm 115 is a psalm that was used in Israel's worship at festive gatherings. In fact, it becomes part of the psalms that are sung at the end of the Passover. And so we assume our Lord Jesus sang this after he had the Passover with the disciples. Psalm 115, God's holy word, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the works, work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then we give our attention this morning to these last three verses. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God's word. Let's ask for the Lord to bless us as we consider this this morning. Our Father in heaven, all things are sanctified to us by your word and prayer. We're grateful that our thanksgiving and the gifts that we receive from you might be sanctified by your truth and by the petitions we often up, offer up in our thanksgivings today. Father, bless us by your word. Teach us how to receive your gifts and how to give you praise. Glorify yourself in the proclamation of your word and in what you produce through it, we pray. Work on all of our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, according to the not infallible Wikipedia, verse 16 of this psalm, which says that the earth he has given to the children of men, has been quoted by peace activist John McConnell as an inspiration to create Earth Day as a call to preserve the earth and share resources. It's interesting. As we look at this verse, I've never 
really paid a lot of attention, I don't think, to this verse. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. We clearly hear a lot about preserving the earth these days. There's a big emphasis on protective measures for planet earth. And, of course, some of that's good. None of us likes to see polluted rivers or drive through places and say them like, like a dump. We are not in favor of extinct animals or uh, making extinct animals, animals extinct. We, we don't like contaminated water. We uh, prefer not to breathe smoggy air. So we recognize that men being sinful and selfish will exploit and abuse, and we're grateful for governments to restrain some of that. But we often find ourselves saying, you know, they go too far. They go too far, these environmental protections. They seem sometimes more concerned about plants and animals than about people and human flourishing upon the earth and people having food, and people having warmth, and so forth. And we say then that this environmental concern of environmentalism goes too far. But I suggest to you that the Word of God tells us here that it actually doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough. Because for all the emphasis upon preserving the environment, the, the question's never asked, to what end, for what purpose shall earth be preserved? And, and if we say, well, it should be preserved for humanity's sake, God gave the earth to men, that still doesn't go far enough, does it? To, to what purpose has God given the earth to the children of men? The answer is that God created the earth to give to his people that they might praise him, that they might praise him. Today, God teaches us that he made the earth to bring himself praise and that he preserves praise on the earth for the glory of his name. And that's the the point we're looking at in these three verses, that the Lord preserves praise on the earth for the glory of his name. And so we're seeing that that the Lord God is the sovereign EPA. He is the supreme environmental protection agent. He sees to it that the purpose of earth is preserved in having a people that will praise him and give him thanks for his gifts. Let's look at that this morning. Considering, first of all, the place of our praise in verse 16, the place of our praise, and then In verse 17, we see the time, the time of our praise. And then in verse 18, the strength of our praise. Well, the place of our praise, first of all, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And so the psalmist here is singing and the church is being taught to sing that that God in his bountiful care has lavished upon humanity as image bearers, the rich gifts of of this planet. God, who who stood in need of nothing, has seen fit to give to us an abundance of his goodness for our use. And so we we live in a world where we have a, a variety of gifts, don't we? We look at all the good things God has done. Every direction we turn our eyes, we behold the wonders of God's handiwork and and the gifts he's given to us. He has made provision. He is a, a true father. He has providentially cared for his people. He has given us the earth, and he's filled it with treasures, right? He, he has given to us a home, but it's a fully furnished home, right? Sometimes you see apartments or something for rent that are fully furnished. Well, God has given us a, a creation fully furnished, and he's hidden treasures in the earth for us to discover. He's provided food and all that we need. And it's on Thanksgiving, of course, that we, in a special way, pause to think about all God's temporal blessings, the blessings of creation, all that God has given to us. We should never lose sight of living in this beautiful state of Oregon, the, the snow-capped mountains and the beautiful trees and, and the ocean that we lay eyes upon, the beaches and the cliffs and, 
And all of this, it's the work of the Lord our God. We're grateful for clothing and for food and for shelter from the rain. We, we enjoy a rich variety of foods. The, the Thanksgiving table is just kind of a, uh, a token, an emblem, isn't it, of, of the bounty of God's creation. It's such a diversity that God has given to us. He's filled us with capacity for friendships, for love and for relationships. He's given to us work to do in this world. We can labor in this creation for the glory of God. We enjoy rich freedoms in this land in particular. And so, as John Calvin put it, God, satisfied with his own glory, has enriched the earth with abundance of good things that mankind may not lack anything. So we're to be humbled. We're to be humbled and say this is all a gift from God. And nothing really could be more insulting than to look at all this and say, ah, I guess it made itself. Ah, I guess it came by chance. Boys and girls, can you imagine if this Christmas your parents are sitting there, they've got a nice big box for you, Christmas gift, and you open it up, and you look at the gift, you say, wow. And then you say, where did this come from? And then you look around the box, you say, I guess the box made it. I guess it made itself. It would be, it'd be insulting. And yet, that's what many people do, even today. Sinful hearts refuse to give God thanks. It's not that God is some wimpy being and he just needs our thanks. He needs our love. That's not it at all. God is, God is all sufficient. He is all satisfied in his own glory and in the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit. He needs nothing outside of himself. He is independent of all he has made. He is the transcendent God who is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He is to himself more than a thousand worlds. And if he were hungry, he would not tell us, for he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he says in Psalm 50. And yet, God gives the gift of the earth that he might hear the praises and be glorified in the mouths of his people. The heavens are enough for God. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. Psalm 113, a little bit earlier, a couple psalms earlier, suggests that that God is so highly exalted, he has to stoop down just to see the stars. God is not needful of us. We are needful of him. Matthew Henry writes, He is the rightful owner of the treasures of light and bliss in the upper and better world, and is in the full possession of them, for he is himself infinitely bright and happy. But again, though God needs nothing from us, he is worthy of everything. We should acknowledge the gracious Father above. And we should not pretend as if the world made itself or as if we've gotten these things for ourselves or if God lives in heaven unconcerned with the earth. It's interesting reading John Calvin's commentary and Matthew Henry, who was just a little bit later, uh, you know, four or five hundred years ago, these men, they both comment that the, the wicked in their day, the unbelievers, who apparently back then actually knew what the Bible said to some degree, they would use verse 16 to insist that, that God didn't care about the earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. And they would quote that to suggest that God doesn't care what we do here down below. Well, John Calvin, who rarely gives an illustration, a personal illustration in his commentaries, couldn't help himself on verse 16, because he remembered a time when he was at an inn, eating supper at an inn, and he and his fellows were talking about what he says, the heavenly life. 
when some profane man began to mock and to quote that verse, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, suggesting God doesn't care about you on the earth. The heavens are what he's concerned with. And then he suddenly got this tremendous pain. This man did, this terrible pain. And he began to cry out, silencing the whole place. He cried out, oh God, oh God. And then seized with that pain, seeing this this happening to this man, one of the guests began to mock him and said, are you crying out to God? Have you forgotten your philosophy? Why do you not permit him to remain at ease in heaven? And each time he'd cry out, oh God, then the man would say, the heaven, the heavens are the Lord's. The man's pain eventually subsided, and hopefully he learned his lesson. Man likes to pretend, like he runs the earth here and owes God no thanks. But in his desperate moment, he will have to confess he does not sustain his own life. God has not renounced his claim upon this world. Colossians 1 tells us that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. The whole world is made by Christ, for Christ, and is sustained in Christ, and we owe him praise. So we're grateful that God has not left us to be that people of Romans 1 who refuse to give thanks, but he sent his son to an ungrateful people to, to pay for our sin of ungratefulness and to change our hearts by his spirit that we might recognize that we are creatures, sinful, frail creatures who receive all things as a gracious gift of our Father in heaven through Christ. So we come today to bring our thanks. And we're thankful for for strong words in Scripture that tell us that the earth God has given to the children of men. And we're thankful for Reformed heritage that recovered that truth in the Bible to learn again that material matter and the gifts of creation are not to be despised, Remember uh, 1 Timothy, Paul tells uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 that some false teachers were saying marriage is bad, certain foods are bad. And Paul says to Timothy, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. A couple chapters later, the apostle goes on to tell Timothy to warn the rich, the rich not to be proud or haughty. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Well, we enjoy God's creation as we care for it properly as we use it for God's glory, as we render thanks to God, as we share with those in need, above all, as we bring our worship and say, thank you, Lord. So, the place of our thanksgiving is right here on earth, in the midst of all these good blessings of creation, we give our thanks. But secondly, when? When do we give our thanks? What's the time of our praise? Verse 17 may come as a bit of a shock. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. We recognize this morning there's two kinds of dead, right? There's the unbelieving dead. They are actually dead even while they're alive. Earlier in the psalm here, the psalmist said that, that, that the idolaters worship gods who have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. And then he says those who worship such false gods become like them. 
And so unbelievers are blind. They have eyes they don't see. They don't see the glory of God. They have mouths that don't speak. They don't speak praise to God. They are dead like their gods. They are dead while they're alive. That's reason enough that we should want to praise God right now. If we're those who are able to see, I don't remember who it was who was telling me recently about their conversion, but, but they said it, as soon as they, the Lord had changed their heart, when they drove home, everything looked different. And that's the reality, right? When, when God has changed our hearts and opened our eyes, and we're not looking at this as the product of evolution, but suddenly this is God's handiwork, then everything looks different. But I don't think the psalmist is speaking simply about the unbelieving dead here. I think he's speaking also about those who have died in the Lord. When he says that the dead do not praise the Lord... He's not saying they don't praise the Lord at all. They're quite busy in heaven. And those who've gone before us are enjoying a thanksgiving today that's beyond what we can comprehend. Heaven is not a place of silence. It's a place of great busyness. There is tremendous worship going on. It's delightful. So verse 17 is not in any way suggesting that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in the Lord, are ultimately silent But verse 17 is the church on earth recognizing the reality that those whom the Lord has called home, they no longer stand here on earth with us to praise God. And so the church is recognizing that that the Lord, the creator, must have testimony to his goodness on earth. There must be a people always who praise him and who tell the next generation and who announce to the world the goodness of God. But if those who used to be here, aren't here anymore. They have fought the good fight. They have run their race. They've been called home to glory. And now we visit the cemetery and there's silence. Then it is incumbent upon us who are still alive on earth to sing hallelujah to the Lord. We have a task. We have a task to perform It's the church on earth that is taken up with praying, Hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth. And for each and every one of us, there's not an eternity upon earth promised us, but a short time. We're each appointed a few days. Even Jesus, remember in John chapter 9, says he has to do the works of the one who sent him while it's day because it's going to be night pretty soon when no one works. God gives to humans a short span upon this earth, the earth he has given to the children of men. And so if you're here today and you're alive today, then today is your day and today is your hour and you're called to redeem the time. If you've never truly given thanks from your heart, gone through lots of emotions, but you've never really given thanks from your heart, or if you're among the company who don't actually regularly gather for Christian worship and you know, being here today is a unique thing for you. Or if you are those who always come to church, but it's never from the heart that you praise God, then, then Christ Jesus is calling you to himself to acknowledge your stubborn ingratitude, to bow yourself before him and cry out for mercy and forgiveness and for a new heart. And for all those who confess to be Christians, 
The question is, will we tell ourselves that we can praise the Lord later when we've, you know, children, we might say this, young people, I'll praise the Lord later when I get older, you know, when life slows down, but I've got so much to do right now. No. Will we, when we're older, say, well, I'll praise the Lord when I get to heaven, but right now I've got all these grandchildren to care about. No. This is the moment upon earth and your primary reason for existence is to acknowledge the God who gave you the earth and to praise him. We're to praise the Lord with the new hearts God has given us, the mouths he has opened. We're to praise him before a blind world that refuses to acknowledge him. We are to shout his praise. And and we are to praise before the Lord whose eyes are upon us and who wants to be lifted up in the hallelujahs of his people. And we're to praise the Lord before each other because we're often discouraged, aren't we? And we, we lose heart and we need to hear each other sing. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs stirring one another up to the Lord. And the days that God has given us here, we're to praise him so we won't be ashamed at Christ's coming. But having praised the Lord upon earth quite well, we'll be ready to praise the Lord in heaven. And so there's an urgency here. The dead do not praise the Lord. They've been called away, but we're here. The torch has been passed to us, and this is our moment every day. And all we do, especially on Lord's Day, is gathering with the saints. Let us lift up praise to God. When this day is over, we have one less Thanksgiving in our lives. We will never recover this day. It's past. At the end of this year, we'll have one less year in our lives. We'll never recover the year. It is past. But this is our time to do the work God has assigned us to praise him. But finally this morning, consider the strength, the strength of our praise. In verse 18, we read, But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore praise the Lord. I think there is in that verse both a commitment and a confidence. The commitment is the church saying, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to keep on praising the Lord. We're going to praise him until he calls us home. So the church is saying, we're going to work at this. We're going to labor to be observant of God's blessings and mercies to us. We're going to, we're going to work to remember what the Lord has, has done for us. God often tells us, you know, in the Bible that we are forgetful people. We read the stories of the Israelites in the wilderness and we like turn the page like, what? Did they forget what God just did for them? And God warns his people in Deuteronomy 8, you know, before he brings them into the land flowing with milk and honey. He says, when I bring you in there and you, you, you get a home you didn't build and a vineyard that you didn't plant and cultivate and you have all these good things, don't you dare say, my hand has gotten this for me. I've done it. No, don't forget the Lord your God. Prone to forget, so we have to work at remembering. We have to remind each other. We have to read the word and be reminded. We have to pray for grace from heaven to remind us. We have to work at praise. Worship is work, isn't it? It's glorious work, but it's work. It's work to stab our sinful hearts, to drive that sword through them. It's work to make our flesh and our body do the job beat ourselves into submission, as it were. Say, no, you will, you will praise the Lord. It's, 
It's work to preach to our hearts, right? To take our souls in hand and say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's a, a wonderful, a difficult work. We need God's grace and we need commitment. We can be encouraged today as we look elsewhere in the world at our persecuted brothers and sisters who even under threats of danger still gather to worship the Lord because they know it's essential. We can be encouraged on a Thanksgiving to look back. Remember that many have come to this land in the pursuit of the freedom to worship. That should keep us from taking it for granted. Above all, we should be encouraged to read what Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 2. When we read that he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, this is what Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Whenever our praise is truly praise to God, you know what's happened? The Lord Jesus Christ has stood in our midst as our worship leader, and he has led us in singing praise to God. That's what's happened. So Christ, working in us, leads us then to say with Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give the glory because of your mercy and your truth. It's not always easy to praise the Lord. Our flesh, our sinful passions war against us, our laziness, our apathy, our ingratitude, and then also the trials and the sorrows of this life, they bear down upon us. But the Lord is teaching us through Christ here that there's always an opening when our eyes are set upon the Lord and we see his gracious hand towards us to give him thanks and to come near to him and to call others even to join us. The psalm ends, praise the Lord, as if it would summon all of creation to join in the chorus. Verse 2 says, why, why, should, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Well, it should never be that they say that because the church hasn't borne witness of God. Because the church is no longer worshiping God. Now, what did John Piper, how did he put that? That missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We could say that. Evangelism exists because thanksgiving doesn't. The church is to summon the world, to bow down, and to worship the Lord through Christ. So there's this, this commitment here. The church says, we're going to do this. We're going to worship God forevermore. But can the church really say that? Can the church really guarantee that? Can the church see to it that she won't be destroyed by Satan? Can the church guarantee that she won't become apostate and leave the Lord? Can any one of us guarantee that our hearts will love God tomorrow? The answer to all those is no. And so the real strength of our praise is not our resolve we're going to do it, but the real strength of our praise is God's resolve. He will have such a people because of his covenant commitment to his church, because of his commitment to his own glory, God will see to it that his people will praise him. God guarantees worship in heaven, and he guarantees the worship upon the earth.
God will bless us. That's what the psalm says in the middle. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He's their help in the shield. Verse 12, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. Verse 13, he will bless those who fear the Lord. God's purpose is not going to fail. He's going to have a remnant upon the earth forever who will praise him until Christ returns. The voice of idolaters will not prevail to stomp out the worship of the church. Christ has said, I will build my church. I will build the worshiping community and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His own blood has guaranteed that. He's himself died, has risen from the dead as the premier worshiper. He, as the Christ, the God-man, as our worship leader, is indestructible. And he leads his church in worship. He sends his spirit to convict us of sin, of ungratefulness, and to give us hearts to be thankful. And until Jesus returns, God will bless us in Christ, and he will bring forth generation after generation to laud and adore him. Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. Boys and girls, some of us here are getting older. The task of worshiping is is being handed on to you. You must rise up and praise the name of the Lord. And at last, when there's no more generations to be had, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, will worship cease on the earth? No, but then the earth will be transformed through fire. And the meek will inherit the earth. Restored creation. John says at the end of the Bible, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then at last, heaven and earth come together. And finally, at last, there is no difference between the worship in heaven and the worship on earth. But it's all one. God is praised and extolled by every creature in heaven and on earth. And we... And glorified bodies united with all those who have gone before will be the church to praise God in heaven and on earth forever and ever and ever. And all eternity will not exhaust the reason to give God thanks. Until that day comes, or until the Lord calls us home, then this is our day. It's given to the children of men the earth that we might Bless his name. Give God your hearts. Give God your thanksgiving. Give God your praise. Let's pray together.